This is the Ambiguously Blind Podcast. We are challenging beliefs and revealing abilities that make people extraordinary. Here's your host, a guy that is still remarkably tall for his age, John Grimes. Hey, 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 greetings. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting the podcast experience. October 5th is World Meningitis Day, a day to shine a light on meningitis to help spread awareness, improve prevention, diagnosis, and treatment. Over the past few years, I've been increasing my advocacy efforts with various meningitis organizations, and I'm excited about my new role as the America's representative to the Global Advisory Council for the Confederation of Meningitis Organizations better known as Como. This year, for World Meningitis Day, I wanted to pull together a collection of stories that span the globe of people that have been affected by meningitis and find out what they want you to know about meningitis and what they're doing to spread awareness. And I can't think of a better place to start than Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and the creator of World Meningitis Day itself. This is Bob Warner co-founder of the Becky Warner Meningitis Foundation. That foundation was formed back in 2004 when my daughter Becky contracted bacterial meningitis from the time she said, Daddy, I don't feel good till the time she passed away. It was 39 hours. As you might imagine, high-impact tragedy. My wife and I pretty much responded to that by saying, you know, if Becky was here, she'd say, you got to do something about that. Because we didn't know about it, that means there's a lot, many other people that uh, were in the same position we were. They needed to be educated. They needed to hear about it. So we formed the Becky Werner Meningitis Foundation in 2004 and set out on a trail to find out what we could do to uh, get people to know about this. In 2006 or 2007, somewhere in there, my wife had discovered an organization called COMO, Confederation of Meningitis Organizations. And we had linked up with COMO and got on board to uh, work with groups internationally to work on getting meningitis a name that doctors and parents and everybody would know about. And we set on that, that trail. So 2007, I think I found myself being elected to uh, the U S regional manager. And what that meant was we divided the world into three groups. And because I lived here and because uh, I put my hand up, they said, yeah, you're the manager. And off we went. And in those days, we were working on Como becoming a 501c3 type organization and getting the papers in, in line. I mean, it was very early in its, in its structure. So, But, you know, being on the board meant giving a lot of energy to the building of this organization. You know, I, I felt I owed it to my daughter. But then also, as I discovered more and more people afflicted with the same type of issues, I, I, I felt also owed it to the thousands of families that uh, we needed to raise a flag, to raise awareness, 
I felt we had to prevent other families in the future from living through a similar tragedy. One day, we, my wife and I were attending a Como International meeting. You know, we, we got all excited about what we were doing there and, and the people, and it was very invigorating. And, you know, we'd, we'd go back to the hotel room at night and talk about it. And one night, I was sitting there, and I said to my wife, you know, we, we should do something like a World Meningitis Day. I said, that way, all these meningitis organizations around the globe could, could hold an event that would cause the public to hear about meningitis. They could do uh, vaccine, vaccination clinics. They could do things, put in it on, on, on a radio station, on a TV station. We could do 5K runs. You know, whatever each organization thought about, they could do that to... Uh, do whatever they could in their area to to raise awareness, to educate people. And, you know, that's, my wife thought that was a a good idea. We Next morning, we were excited to bring it to, to the meeting. And as soon as I brought it up, everybody kind of jumped on board and started, the buzz started. So there again, back in 2009, we, we decided we would, start such a campaign and because I had suggested it they kind of put me in charge of it <laughs> you know you volunteer for things but uh, I'll tell you what I'm, I'm thrilled to see that today World Meningitis Day really does mean something it is that tool it has become that tool that people are using in fact to uh, do just what it was intended for to uh, raise awareness, to educate people, and give the opportunity to, to use tools to uh, bring that to the forefront. You know, I want people to know that meningitis is here. It can attack anyone at any time, and it can become a tragedy within 24 hours, within days. But I want people to know that it's also preventable. The very first line of defense is education. Learn what this disease is. Learn how it's transmitted and who is most at risk in your family. We need to invest the time to educate ourselves about the disease. The second line of defense is vaccination. As parents, we all, we all want to do our very best, I think, at protecting our children. I, that's just a, uh, something as parents... It, it just comes natural to us. So I think on a daily basis, we always make decisions for our children to protect them. And I truly believe that if every parent does their job in educating themselves about meningitis and about the vaccine, there's just no way they would not get their child vaccinated. I've done presentations, I've done speeches to, to students and to the parents and medical groups, nurses. You know, I've gotten in front of so many people over the last 19 years, and invariably I get one parent or one person that would stand up and say, you know, Bob, there are people that just don't want to get their child vaccinated. And, you know, I, I answer that by, <laughs> there are, have been times where I haven't been so kind in answering it, in a joking, not a jokingly, but in a way that... Uh, grabs people's attention, I said, oh, well, that parent must not love their child. And everybody gasps. 
but now I got everybody's attention. I said, I'm not, I don't mean it that way. I'm trying to get your attention so that I'm making a statement here that you all digest. If people get educated enough, they are going to make the decision to vaccinate because they do love their children. And every mom and dad will make that choice if they truly get the education they need and they understand meningitis and the vaccination. Could get myself in trouble for that, but I truly believe that. And I'm, you know, I'm willing to have that conversation with any parent that's struggling with that decision. Over the years, the Becky Werner Meningitis Foundation, again, we've been doing the presentation, we've been telling Becky's story, educating students and their parents. We, ha we have held motorcycle rides for fundraising. We've done Christmas concerts. Actually did something, a weekend full of chainsaw wood carving for fun. These wood carvers would come with their chainsaws and carve something up and then sell all their carvings on Sunday and all the proceeds would go to our foundation. I mean, anything we could think of that would raise awareness, bring people to the event and give us a chance to uh, educate them and also raise raise money. We are in our 18th year of our annual shots for meningitis golf outing, which has been a tremendous event for us. We get 175 plus people that enjoy golf, enjoy getting together. When we break bread at dinner, we honor all of the meningitis survivors and also those families and people that we lost due to meningitis. The Becky Werner Meningitis Foundation has donated almost $200,000 to our medical college in Wisconsin for research on meningitis and the vaccine. And they're discovering things that money's put to good use. We've donated money to families that were affected by meningitis that were in need of it. There's just so much good that comes from doing events. When you do World Meningitis Day, come up with an event, do something. 5K runs, talk to the po politicians in the state. We actually had World Meningitis Day honored and a plaque signed by the governor here in Wisconsin. So, you know, anything that we can do to bring attention to it in World Meningitis Day 2023 is a great opportunity for it. I'm always available to answer questions, still do guest uh, presentations, speaking, just about anything I can do in power to help meningitis be a disease of the past, I'm all for it. Please look me up, drop me a note, give me a call. I'm just passionate about making a difference and helping you make that difference as well. Good luck to World Meningitis Day 2023. Hello, my name is Elena. I am based in Madrid and I am the vice president of the unique association that fights against meningitis in Spain. And I'm also a coordinator for the European member of COMO, which stands for Confederation of Meningitis Organizations. I'm a meningitis survivor myself. Uh, my story started in uh, Paris. I was born in France. And there, uh, when I was four years old, uh, one day I started uh, to feel very, very ill. So they called the doctor. And he came home and he, he was a pediatrician. 
So he said, well, uh, your daughter is suffering from rubella. These are the medicines. You have to go to the pharmacy and let's see how the uh, how she feels tomorrow. And that night I felt worse, much worse. I had my first seizures. I had uh, my whole body was aching. And even today, my mom says that she uh, asked me to stop moving my arms and legs. Well, she feels very ashamed about that. So the next day, uh, she called again the pediatrician. And he said, uh, very sincerely and very uh, modest, that he uh, was not understanding why I was feeling worse. So he said, listen, go to the uh, closest hospital. And there at the emergency unit, they saved my life. They urged my parents to go home because at that time, I'm quite old now, I'm 60. So this happened more than 50 years ago. And at that time in Europe, parents were not allowed to stay with their children at this uh, public uh, children hospital. So I was there, left alone, four years old, 11 days at the hospital. Uh, I remember, you might not believe me, but it's completely true. I remember the fatigue, being very, very uh, tired. I remember the room. I remember uh, seeing only one hour per day my parents. Uh, I remember the presence and, well, the most uh, best ending of the story is that I made a full recovery without any sequela. So I uh, started a family. I, I study. Uh, I wanted to be a teacher, and I forgot about meningitis. But one day, uh, a dramatic day, one of my students, age seventeen, Irene Mejias, died within the first twenty-four hours due to meningococcal meningitis. Uh, that day, it uh, changed my life. I understood that I had a mission. I quitted my job and started with her dad and her mom, the first foundation in Spain to fight against meningitis, to raise awareness about this disease. I understood I had a mission. You know, sometimes you, uh, you know, age, decades pass and you do not understand what you have to do here in this world. But then I had you know, like this bell that was ringing at my door. So I started to be an advocate, a passionate advocate to raise awareness, to share the symptoms, to talk about prevention. So no one, no uh, family would uh, be affected by this anymore. It's a potentially deadly disease, but it, it can be preventable. And that's a big difference between our disease, I say ours because we are all here, uh, affected families by this uh, disease. And we can, uh, it, it's, a, it's a hope for the families to listen to us when we say it's preventable. Most of the uh, organisms that agents that may cause meningitis, we have a vaccine. We have tetravalent vaccines that are uh, very effective. Uh, soon we will have pentavalent, which are five uh, types in one jab, which is uh, good for our kids. And that's a very good message for our society. The other message for me, very important, is that it's unpredictable. So it's healthy uh, babies, healthy teens, healthy adults that are, you know, one day there, 
and uh, the second day they are very, very sick. So why is that important to know that it's unpredictable? Because we have to know the main signs, the main symptoms. MRF in the UK have spread all over the world this test of the empty, transparent uh, glass. When you push these transparent glass in your rashes and the rashes does not disappear as any rash that is not uh, important, then you understand that there is something very wrong with your body and you have to go to the closest hospital. So these transparent glass tests for me is crucial and we uh, spread this information all over our uh, resources, material, and when we uh, reach the media. And it's still a global problem. We have vaccines, but the materia, the bacteria, excuse me, are very, very clever and they mutate, they grow faster. So these historical decision of WHO to have created a global roadmap to defeat meningitis is essential, is crucial. And I hope that 2030 will be our year that finally we will see that this uh, disease can be uh, defeated. Also, very important for me is to share the sequela, the variety of sequela, the wide range from blindness to deafness to lob, uh, to, to uh, limb loss, to amputations, to brain damage. I mean, it's a variety. Even like me, no sequela at all. But it's important that society know that you might, you might suffer an amputation due to meningitis because when they hear our stories, they go like, Wow, no, this was caused by meningitis. You're kidding me. Yes, this young lady has not her legs because she was amputated due to this uh, disease. My name is Rekha Lakshmanen, and I work for the Immunization Partnership, which is a nonprofit organization based in Texas in the United States. Our organization educates people about the importance of vaccinating building vaccine champions, and advocating for public policy solutions to improve access to vaccines and improve vaccination rates. While I have not personally been affected by meningitis, I have learned a lot about the disease, prevention, and the power of meningitis advocacy through Jamie Shambaum, who is a meningitis survivor and I believe has been on this podcast before her mother, Patsy, and Greg Williams, who unfortunately lost his son to meningitis. The Immunization Partnership advocated with Jamie and Patsy and later Greg to pass the first law in the United States requiring college students to be vaccinated against meningitis. As a result of the law, we have seen cases of meningitis decrease in Texas, which means fewer younger people will not suffer the consequences of this devastating disease. I've admired the tenacity and passion of Jamie, Patsy, and Greg, and others, and have learned and continue to learn a lot from them on being an effective meningitis advocate. As many of you know, or for those of who, who don't know, it's estimated that meningitis affects more than two and a half million people across the world every year. And the consequences of the disease can be devastating, such as someone losing their life, losing their limbs, to having long-term medical complications. However, the good news is we have vaccines to protect against different strains of meningitis and prevent people from suffering. 
We want to see as many people vaccinated as possible. Our job at the Immunization Partnership is to build vaccine confidence, work to create easy access to vaccines, and ensure we have good public policies in place to support those efforts. The global pandemic that we have all lived through over the past three years and continue to live through affected childhood and adolescent immunization rates, including meningitis immunization rates. Misinformation about vaccines is on the rise all across the world, and a lot of that, unfortunately, has been through social media. Social media is one of those things that has been both a blessing and a curse. It has easily connected us to people we may not have been otherwise been able to connect to, but it has also served as a powerful way to spread bad misinformation. Policymakers, whether they are at the local, state, or national level, unfortunately are being influenced by misinformation through many different ways, including social media, when they're considering policies that affect all of us. However, our focus is to share positive, accurate information about meningitis and meningitis prevention, as well as connect advocates to decision makers so they can hear the stories directly from individuals and families who have been affected by vaccine-preventable diseases. Everyone has a story, whether it's through their professional capacity or their personal experience. If decision makers don't learn about meningitis and why it is important to vaccinate against it, then they won't think about it or, they won't, or they'll think that it's not important. Awareness is a top-down, bottom-up approach. Not only must we educate the general public about meningitis and the risks of not vaccinating, but we must also educate policymakers and leaders about it now more than ever as we recognize World Meningitis Day on October 5th. My name is Siobhan Carl. I'm a mum and I'm also the founder of the charity Act for Meningitis here in Ireland. In April 2008, I was pregnant and um, I was kept in hospital for the night because I had really bad headaches. My daughter Ava and Evan were at home in Galway with their dad and I was in the local hospital, which is about 10, 15 minutes away from my house. I rang and was talking to Ava and Evan at nine o'clock that night and told them I loved them. They told me what they did that day and they went to bed. A few hours later, Noel rang me to say Ava's really sick and she has a bug, I think. And uh, I said, okay, you know, she had been fine up to that stage. She'd been fine all day. She'd been in her in her Montessori in her play school for the day and had been off with my mom and stuff and had a lovely day. And she then rang me a few hours later to say, Ava's really sick and the ambulance is on the way. I ran down to the front door of the hospital in in Galway and I could hear an ambulance in the distance. And I remember thinking it was like it was pitch dark, it was the middle of the night, and I remember hearing the ambulance and thinking, uh, God, that ambulance is in a rush. Someone's really, really sick. And the ambulance pulled up and Noel jumped out and he looked at me and he said, It doesn't look good. And I and I, I couldn't understand what he was saying. It couldn't look good. What had happened at home was Ava had vomit and diarrhea. And she had uh, nothing, nothing very concerning, but he had rang the out of hour service to say that she was sick. And he said to them, She's not usually like this when she's sick. And they said, There's a bug going around, check her, put on the light. It's a light bothering her. Has she got a rash? No, none of those. Just keep an eye on her. She just wasn't settling. And he rang my mom to come out as well and um he brought her downstairs and he rang them again and said 
I'm just not happy with her. And they said, you know, give her some Norfolk or Calpol. And she was kind of getting, starting to get a bit moany. And um, the third call was him to ring the ambulance. Ava was lying in his arms and they were watching Tom and Jerry on the telly. And we looked down. She had just started turning grey and she literally closed her eyes. And by the time I went down to the front door of the hospital and Noel jumped out of the ambulance and he says, she's not looking good. They raced past us with her. And we were standing in the emergency room in the hospital in Galway. And um, we could see a priest coming towards us. And he he said, I'm, I'm really sorry. Um, you know, your little girl didn't make it. And the consultant was with him and she was gone. So within six hours of having her first symptoms of being sick, Ava had passed away from meningitis. It just completely changed our lives. Um, four weeks after that, I had Noah and Noah came along and the following year, Sophie came along and that was our lives changed forever. And we had to try and figure out how to get on with our lives without her in it. That's how meningitis ended up changing our lives. Very quickly, I realized we had to do something to try and stop another family going through meningitis. And, and the biggest thing I felt that people needed to know was that anybody of any age can get meningitis, that it's not just babies, that um, meningitis doesn't always produce a rash, that a rash may never appear. And if you do, it's at a very late stage. And that to trust your instincts. If somebody is not right and they're not usually like that when they're sick, to get some medical advice. And if they're not happy with the advice to give a go, get a second opinion. You know your own child. You know what they're like when they're sick. And, you know, within a couple of hours or up to 24 hours, your life can change. We went on and we set up the charity ACT for Meningitis. The ACT actually stands for the Ava Carl Trust. And we want people to act if they suspect meningitis. Ava's favorite song was Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And she always used to say, even on the sunny days, how come there's no rainbows in the sky? So we had our rainbow as our logo for the charity because a rainbow was a sign of hope. So after meningitis, no matter what way you've been impacted, that we're there to give support and help anybody along the way. So the charity now is 12 years up and running. We're the only meningitis charity in Ireland. Our aim is to create awareness uh, for anybody in the country. Everybody needs to know about meningitis. We do national awareness campaigns. We talk to students. We do paramedic training. We do pharmacy training. And we get the awareness out there. And we also offer free support to anybody in the country that's been impacted by meningitis. Those that are living with long-term after effects or those that have been bereaved after meningitis, we're there and we want to give people hope and know that they're not alone in Ireland if, they, if meningitis has affected their lives. And what I want people to know about meningitis is that anybody of any age can contract meningitis. While babies and children up to age 5, 16 to 24-year-olds and over 65 are the highest risk age groups, anybody of any age can get meningitis. And that meningitis doesn't always produce a rash. If a rash does appear, it's at a very late stage and it's, you need to get urgent medical attention, but meningitis does not always produce a rash. So do not wait for the rash. And most importantly, trust your instincts. You know what your child is like when they're sick. You know if they're not normally like this and get medical advice. If you're not happy, get a second opinion and go be the voice for your child. Hi, I'm Vinnie Smith. I'm the Chief Executive of the Meningitis Research Foundation. 
and Confederation of Meningitis Organizations, which is part of the Meningitis Research Foundation. We're a patient group set up by a family who tragically lost their son over 30 years ago and a family who wanted to make sure more research went on into meningitis and how to prevent it. It was driven by their personal experience and that's what we are to this day. We make sure families like theirs don't go through a similar experience. That's what I think my job is to help that happen. We're based in the UK in the amazing city of Bristol. Uh, we also run a network of like-minded people and organizations around the world called the Confederation of Meningitis Organizations, or COMO for short, and they really do span the globe from New Zealand to Nigeria, from Uganda to the US. And COMO was also set up to represent families affected. So when I go into the room or when part of my team goes into a room to speak on their behalf, it's them that they're taking, we're taking with us. And it's then that gives us our strength and our energy. And it's that experience of those people and families that's really our fuel. Um, we've successfully campaigned for the introduction of life-saving vaccines and called for a first ever global plan to try and defeat this awful disease. Uh, and in 2020, the World Health Assembly did just that, and they committed to a plan to defeat meningitis by 2030. So we're really, really proud of that work and the work of COMO members and the work of MRF helping that to happen. So our work is rooted in being there for people who need us through our support services that also includes a helpline. And based on those experiences, we then call for support and support for research. We ask for policies to be changed and we ask for funding to help make that happen. And we like to think that we can be a bridge between that individual experience the research that needs to happen and the change that needs to happen for a better future for everyone. And we go out there and try and make that happen on their behalf. That's our job. And so we've funded nearly £20 million worth of research over the last 30 years. We also support people. We raise awareness in a variety of ways. And we, um, uh, and we bring people together from individuals through to scientific global experts to help them work together better on the disease. That's our job. What I would really like people to know about meningitis can be boiled down to sort of four things, really. If you've never have it, had it, you never want it, and you can do something about it. So that's that's part one. And, and the reason that's important is it acts fast uh, and that it can act alarmingly fast. So bacterial meningitis can kill one in 10 people who get it. So it's seriously dangerous. Um, if you do survive it, it can leave one in five with lifelong impairments. So that's a lot of people. And because that's so important and it can be so dangerous and lifelong, have a lifelong impact, we want people to be aware of the signs and symptoms, to go and get your vaccines. We want people to be, everyone to be aware of that. And if you're unsure, because it's not always clear to people what they need to do, go and ask your healthcare provider, go and ask your GP, go and ask them for advice. They should be able to give you guidance and advice on what you need to do. And we want you to go and help seek seek help when you need to. That's really, really important. So that leads to my second part, which is if you're at all worried that you have the signs and symptoms, go seek help fast. Don't hang around. Um, and there are a long list of, of, of signs and symptoms for meningitis, but think about having a fever, um, having a stiff neck, being uh, averse to the light, 
those are things to be mindful of. That doesn't happen for everybody. You could have one or those, other of those. But if you have rapidly deteriorating symptoms, go and get help fast. And just trust your gut instincts. So actually, it's well-researched that trusting your instincts when it comes to meningitis is important, especially uh, mums and dads who are thinking about their kids. They kind of know when something's up and their instincts really do make a difference. So go and, go and get help. Thirdly, if you have had it, we and other Como members are there for you. You don't have to do it alone. Um, there are other people out there that understand. You can reach out and get support from them. And the Como network is always there to be uh, available for people. So it's not something that you have to try and do on your own. And finally, my fourth thing is we are making progress. So hold the hope. Um, there's never, ever been a plan before uh, to defeat meningitis. There is one now. Thanks to vaccines, cases and deaths are falling. They're not falling as fast as we'd like, but they are going down. Um, the new global plan has vaccines at its heart, uh, but it also has support for, for people who are affected, support for families, and we're really proud that's in there. So there's a committee, community of people working on this at a global, at a regional and a country level. Uh, it is super hard to do, but we're going to succeed, and, and the more people get involved, the better. So. It's tough, but there is progress and there is hope. That's really, really good. I'm Bruce Langeland. I'm on the west coast of Australia. And I have been chair of Meningitis Centre Australia since 1992. And then I became the first president of Como, Confederation of Meningitis Organisations. Uh, lasted there in six years, so 2009 to 2015. The reason we got involved in um, or how we affected by meningitis was through our youngest daughter at the time, who on Boxing Day, uh, Christmas of 1989, contracted, as we found out, pneumococcal meningitis, so pure pneumococcal meningitis. We were young parents all those years ago, 34 years ago, and we did everything we thought was right to look after a sick child. And we we're on a learning journey. Within 24, 30 hours, our daughter was fighting for her life in the intensive care unit at one of the major hospitals here in Perth in Western Australia. And then became quickly apparent that um, we were actually fighting to save her life. So this perfectly healthy baby had um, succumbed or almost succumbed totally to this invisible bacterial disease, which I thought I'd heard about but didn't understand at all. And I always thought she would recover from because no one in our family had been severely ill and anybody who goes to hospital only goes for a short while, gets better and comes home. And so with our daughter, we learnt the horrible truth about meningitis when it strikes in the way that it struck her. And she is really a 34-year-old toddler at best. And um, as anybody can imagine, not only impact on her life, has been significant, but the impact on my wife and my life has 
been marked, not to the detriment of our other kids, but just marked by the importance of making sure our affected daughter had the best of care and the best opportunities. Given that she became and is today, because of meningitis, a unique citizen who is totally defenceless, totally invisible, powerless, voiceless, and it really well, settles as you get older on your mind as to who do you pass the care and responsibility of this young woman onto when every when her sisters and the majority of the population go to school, get educated, get a job, find a partner, and plan a life. So the impact to me and in my journey with advocating for vaccines has been about stopping this and ending the, the drama, not only for the individual, but for the families and siblings and community and the caring fraternity, which is sadly under stress everywhere with aged care and, and disability care. The effects of meningitis are vast. That's probably the best way to put it. And that's not even in financial terms. That's just in emotional reality terms. How do you, as I often say to people, how do you go through something like that and not want to share it so that it doesn't happen to others? You often hear that with diseases. I just want to make sure that an event, this doesn't happen to others. And I think we are the best people to advocate because we live it through our daughter daily. We can actually speak on her behalf. She can't speak. And the things we want to do is make sure that her life is valued and, is, and is, has some value. And we think the best way to do that is to spread her word, if she can speak, about what her life experience is and why it's important for people not to ignore there's early signs and symptoms that her parents saw, fever, irritability, blank staring look, raised fontanelle, the vomiting, listlessness. All those things you see on the symptoms cards are signs and, and signals that people need to be aware of. So part of our advocacy is to make people aware of those early signs and symptoms. We want people to know them because it often occurs in the early stages when a baby or a young person or a friend is being cared or with another person particularly nursing mums, they could often be nursing a child to death because they're ignoring those basic, basic signs and symptoms. So we want people to know that. We also want people to know to here in every country, now that there's quite a range of vaccines, a very effective tried and true vaccines available to people to protect their kids and to protect themselves. Um, I think Unfortunately, those vaccines have come about because there are severe numbers, large numbers of cases around the world. And vaccine companies over the time have found the formula to fight back against those in either meningococcal or pneumococcal or haemophilus, the major three causes of bacterial meningitis. And you see the impact of those vaccines in the fact that most countries these days don't see many cases of Hib 
the vaccine was introduced in 93 in most places, early 90s. Great advertisement for effective vaccines. Meningococcal disease is now ACW and Y. Uh, you can vaccinate against, you can buy a vaccine for B. And pneumococcal disease is also available and in most countries is available free to kids, as is HIB, as is ACWI for teens and kids. Making people comfortable with the fact that vaccines are available, making people aware of the early signs and symptoms, so because vaccines and uh, are treating certain strains and there are new strains popping up all the time. So the vigilance aspect of watching out for meningitis early signs and symptoms is an ongoing thing. But we do know how people are affected by it these days is in vastly less numbers because of the power of the introduction of those vaccines. What I find challenging and um, inspiring is meeting new families who come across meningitis. And we do. Despite all those efforts, the fence isn't impenetrable, unfortunately. And there are cases all the time, but all in smaller numbers. But one thing unique about every case is the thirst for knowledge. It's the thirst for information. It's the importance of talking to people who get it. And that's why it's important for us as advocates and for Meningitis Centre Australia and our affiliates through Como to be there, to be ready, to offer a simple service, to make people comfortable, make them feel like they've found the right place when they ring or make contact. And the best way we can do that is for each to work together to stay on top of the information, stay on top of advocacy for vaccines and be a source of truth for meningitis and carry the flag for meningitis. If we're waiting for others to do it, they won't turn up. The best people to do it are us together as a network. In 1998, I was a sophomore student at Texas Tech University. I was a typical student and felt like I was 10 feet tall and bulletproof. I was an active member of a fraternity and life seemed to be following an ordered path. And then on February 13th, I woke up in the hospital. Miraculously, Eight days prior, my fraternity brother found me unconscious on the floor in my bedroom. Now, I'm not the only guy that's got a story about being found unconscious on the floor by a fraternity brother, but rather than the result of a memorable college evening, mine was a result of bacterial meningitis. Waking up was a gift. My parents, holding vigil at my bedside for a week, had been told that I likely would not, while being nonchalantly pestered, about my organ donor status. As I swam back to an uneasy consciousness, the first thing I see is darkness. I'm disoriented by the darkness. I can hear beeping and pulsing machines, a constant stream of doctors, nurses, and therapists coming and going, but I can't see. There's a tube in my nose. I've lost control of my muscles. Speaking is out of the question. I can't even form a smile. Not that I had cause to smile. I'm exhausted, irritated, and confused. I don't know where I am, how I got here, and how much longer I'll continue to be. Very quickly, I understood that surviving meningitis was the easy part. So easy that I'd done it in my sleep. Now, the seemingly impossible part 
was living life after meningitis. Meningitis has taught me many, many lessons about life. But if I go back to the initial prognosis, I think the most important lesson I've learned is that destiny is debatable. And the filter through which you view your circumstances is most certainly up to you. Whether you wake up tomorrow in your own bed, a luxury suite at the Ritz-Carlton, or a hospital, don't wait to start building your life into the one you want. Waiting? It's like being in line at the DMV. Your future seems to be in the hands of the apathetic. Doctors with poor prognosis, bosses or employees that don't value you, and your own nagging self-doubt. Don't wait. Just do the next right thing. Even if that means taking two steps forward and one step back, that's still progress. And in Texas, we even call it dancing. Thanks for spending your time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe. Don't wait. Connect with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.